How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, another day to study the Word. Please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, picking up where we left off. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. If it's not related to the topic at hand, you please just hold that to the end of the study or to the next broadcast. I want to try to limit our rabbit trailing that we always fail at doing. <laughs> okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We got a, a few re really interesting things to point out in here. Um... Again, just a, a simple study, but it's there's so much power. There's so much information. Uh, even just a, a simple, just skipping through the word like this, uh, you glean so much. And also, this is why you need to take the, the, the simple gleaning and then go back and then go, go, go again through it slowly yourself, studying the words, the passages, the context, seeing where else and the scripture doesn't talk about this and doing the word studies and you get so much more what i'm just doing is just helping you just get the basics the the basic gleanings so grab your tea grab your coffee we're going to be studying first corinthians chapter 10. now at the at the beginning of the chapter we got a really really interesting piece um regarding christ regarding jesus christ now before we really get into this just a simple just overview of something here i know we've talked about this in great depth and great detail about the person of jesus christ who he is and and who he is not now many other systems of belief will tell you that jesus is either michael the archangel or some some prophet or just some holy man uh, or something like that. He was just a man who uh, attained his his uh, his Christhood or whatever. A bunch of nonsense. As we see in Scripture very clearly, Jesus is the Christ, which is the mighty God manifested in the flesh. And we see pictures of Christ all throughout Scripture. Uh, we see the prophecies. We see the foretellings. Now we also see something else here, quite interesting. In the in the beginning of the chapter. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, and let's look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, and they drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Okay, so starting at verse 1. Moreover, brethren... Eh, out of all the things that I've already told you, I would not that you should be ignorant. Uh, make sure that that uh, you uh, you aren't um, unaware of this. There's something else that's really, really important uh, that you need to keep in mind, need to keep in remembrance. You should not be ignorant of this. You need to be mindful of this. How that all our fathers is again. He's talking about. Uh, uh, the, the the fathers of the tribes, all this, uh, following Moses, as we see as he's talking about, about Moses. Our fathers were under the cloud. The cloud uh, that, uh, again, we see the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. And that's the 
uh, manifestations of God in the Old Testament. We see whenever God revealed himself, manifested himself, he always had a veil covering. He always had a veil covering. We see the burning bush. We see the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, the Shekinah glory cloud that descended on the tabernacle and the temple. And God always had a veil covering over his person. As the word of God says that uh, no man has seen God at any time and lived. And God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So no one has ever seen the actual form of God in his spiritual form. He always has a veil covering. Always has something uh, that that uh, we can behold, but we can't behold him, his actual person. Now we're all, they're all under the cloud. It's the cloud of God that that uh, led them out of Egypt and led them to the sea, and the and all passed through the sea. We're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. You now what's what is this referring to? We see that following and uh, in in the footsteps of that uh, they were uh, just as much as we are disciples of jesus they were disciples of moses moses was the leader he was the one used by god uh, back then to as the as prophet and teacher and guide as they fought, followed moses as moses followed god and they they went where moses went they did what moses said they, they followed Moses in everything, in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. Again, referring to the, the provisions as given by God. Did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. <clears throat> now, you know how in the Old Testament, how they were thirsty and they needed uh, water, and God brought water from the rock. God brought water from the rock. That rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Now you'll notice something really interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. I hope you have your Bibles handy. You need to see this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 4. Now you'll notice the word rock. Is capitalized. In your Bibles, is the word rock capitalized? Is it capitalized? Now, this is really important. That rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. Now, you'll notice if you go back to Deuteronomy, go back to Deuteronomy, chapter 38. And verse 18, Deuteronomy 32, verse 18, of the rock, capital R, of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Do you see that? Deuteronomy 32, verse 18, of the rock that begat thee, Thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Again, the rock begat, formed, has forgotten God that formed thee. So literally saying here in verse 18 that the rock is God. One of the names, now if you look up the word rock in the uh, Hebrew and the Greek, it, it'll tell you that this uh, the word rock here is used as a divine title, a divine name. Now, 
if we take a look at this, this is very important because this is actually a name of Almighty God. A name of Almighty God. He is the rock. The rock that is higher than I. He, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it talks about how we are hid in the cleft of the rock. Uh, there's, a, uh, uh, there's a safety in the rock. And just that's uh, equivalent to uh, when it talks about how we're held in his hand and nothing can pluck us out of his hand. Held in the cleft of the rock in, in, the, in the hand of God. Now, as it says here, this rock is Christ. Now, what does Christ mean? Christ means the anointed one, the promised one, the prophesied one. That's the spirit of God that comes down to uh, interact, to teach, to guide, to instruct. This is the, 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 the spirit of God that, that comes down. That's what Christ means. Now, they did all drink the same spiritual drink, and they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, if we go over to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, and we want verse 58. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees say, in verse 57, John 8, 57, And the Jews said unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him, to stone him, and Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, why why did they pick up stones? Why were they going to stone him? Well, because Jesus says in verse 58, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Verily, verily, mean truly, truly, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. The, the two words there, I am, is uh, in the Greek, ego emi. E-G-O-E-I-M-I. And ego emi means the always existing one. That's the name of God. That's the I am name of Almighty God. Jesus literally calls himself the I am of God. Now, what did God tell Moses? When Moses met God on Sinai, when the Lord is telling him to go to Egypt and deliver the people, Moses says, if I go and tell them that, that, that the God of their fathers has sent me, they'll say, well, what is his name? And God says, tell them I am hath sent you. Now, I am is, is, a, is the name of God referring to his always existence, that he has no beginning, he has no end, he is infinite. God is infinite. That's what that's referring to, the, the always existing almighty power of God. You see this in uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, one of the prophecies of the Christ Messiah that will come. Uh, he'll be uh, the, uh, the one whose ways are always existing, the one whose ways are from everlasting. The one whose ways are from everlasting. Again, that means the always existing one. So it talks about the Christ Messiah is the always existing one. Now, when you do studies through the scriptures, you see some very interesting things about Christ, that Christ is the Word, the Word which is God that became flesh and dwelt among us. We see in Hebrews and, and other pa passages, it talks about how that the Word is Creator God, that He made all things. He formed all things. He created all things. And we see in Deuteronomy, uh, as well, uh, Deuteronomy uh, 32, verse 18, 
where it says that the, the rock which formed you, the God which formed you, which made you. We see here in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, that that rock was Christ. So we can then deduce something about Christ, that Christ is creator God, just from those two verses. Deuteronomy 32, 18, and 1 Corinthians 10, 4. Again, because one of the names of Christ is the rock. The rock that followed you. The safety, the, the security. Now, what is the other, uh, what do we see the, as another title of Christ? The foundation stone upon which the church is built. He is, he is the solid rock upon which the, the spiritual house is built. He is the chief cornerstone. He's the rock. So we see that in this some very interesting things about Jesus' always existence. He clarifies this even with the Jews in John 8, 58. He's, he just always has been. He always was. Now, there, there is one thing you need to understand in regards to this. If you go to Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 2. Now, there's the Spirit of God that comes down, known as the Christ Spirit of God. The Christ Spirit of God. Now, the Christ Spirit, the Spirit of God, you, you can't behold. He has to have a veil covering. What is the veil covering of the Christ spirit that came down in the, in the times of the Gospels? We see the veil covering was the body of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Let this mind which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, why did, why did he need to form a body for himself? Why did Christ, the Spirit of Almighty God, need a, f a flesh and blood body? Well, we go over to Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Now, if we back up, we see it's talking about Jesus Christ in verse 9. For in him, in him, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we see Jesus talking to Philip, and Philip says, Master, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus says, How long have I been with you, Philip, and you do not yet know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one, for the Father is in me i am in the father and the father in me i and the father are one and we go back to isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 it talks about the prophecies of the christ messiah uh, for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace so almighty uh, almighty god the fullness of the godhead is going to come down 
fashion a body for himself. We go to Acts. Let's go over to Acts 20, 28. Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Because spirits can't bleed, spirits can't die. Spirits can't bleed, spirits can't die. So God fashioned, formed a body for himself, which is the veil covering for himself. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's the veil covering of Almighty God because God gave himself. God purchased the church with his own blood. So how did he do that? He fashioned a body that can bleed, that can die for himself so he could give himself. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. And we see, we see how, as Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, for this purpose am I come. Go back to Isaiah chapter 53, and it talks about the work, the point, the purpose of why the Christ Messiah would come. We see Isaiah 7, 14, how he'll come by the virgin birth. We see Isaiah 9, 6, the titles, his identity. We see the location, Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2, and we see the work, Isaiah 53. He'll be put death for our sins, and his days will be prolonged. He'll be resurrected. So we see all of this, that this is Christ. This is God, known as the rock. For this purpose is he come. Now, as we see as a picture, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We see so many times throughout the scriptures, pictures, images, images of Jesus in everything. We see it with Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac, where they, where they went up to Mount Moriah where Abraham was told to take his only son Isaac and offer him up there as a sacrifice. And Abraham and Isaac went up there and they built the altar, put the wood on, and Isaac was bound, put on the altar, and Abraham took the knife and God stopped Abraham's hand, created the, the ram caught in the thicket by its horns, a ram, a male sheep by its horns, its head trapped in thorns, its head wrapped in thorns that was then substituted in the place of Isaac. We see the whole scene is a foreshadowing picture image of Jesus, the Son, crowned with thorns, given as a substitutionary sacrifice for us. And it just so happens that Mount Moriah, where Abraham, Isaac, and the ram took place, is also known by another name, Mount Golgotha. Mount Moriah, where Abraham, Isaac, and the ram took place, is also Golgotha, Calvary, where Jesus was sacrificed where jesus the lamb of god which should take away the sins of the world is crowned with thorns for for us in our place and there's so many pictures throughout scripture we see again a picture with with moses as again a picture of the deliverer egypt is also known as a, by another name uh, in a uh, in an allegory through scripture egypt is seen as a picture of the world that uh, the israel was lost in the world. We see the deliverer come and to speak the words of God, which brought the, these people out of the world. And we see uh, being delivered into the promised land. 
They crossed through the waters in belief of God, and they crossed through the waters out of Egypt. We see, again, the picture of believing what the, what the word is and then being baptized. Now, it says that, uh, in verse 1, more, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers are under the cloud and all passed through the, through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So we see such a picture, such a picture here. Of, of how God works, how, how God will lead us. And, and in the volume of the book, it is written of me, as Jesus says. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. In every page, in every story, in every aspect, we see pictures of Jesus Christ. Um, one, of my, uh, one of my favorites that I did uh, years ago, I was doing a, a course uh, through Andersonville uh, Theological Seminary. They wanted... Uh, us to do one course which is the the book of judges and uh at the at the end uh, your essay you had to pick one of the characters in the book of judges and write and and write a an essay on that character now i could have picked anyone you know that all all of the standards you know samson or whatever else are uh, but i chose uh, a a very obscure character uh that many people don't remember and there's there isn't much written about this character there's like two verses or something uh, on the on this one character and is shamgar shamgar the son of anath who who slew 600 philistines with an ox goad and thus delivered israel that's it that's all there is that's all there is about shamgar now the thing is what i wanted to do though is i wanted to put the scriptures to the test because it says in the volume of the book, it is written of me. It is written of me. It's written about Jesus Christ in everything about everything. And I wanted to see how far that goes, how true that is. So I chose Shemgar as the character to write my essay. And so I started studying the, the verse, studying the specific words. I started looking into the character and what his name meant and everything. And I was absolutely blown away. By how that one verse on Shamgar the son of Anath spoke all about Jesus Christ and the church. I couldn't believe it. It just uh, how the name Shamgar means a stranger there, a stranger in the land. Uh, how he delivered Israel. How he delivered Israel. Now with, with the ox goad. Now what is the ox goad? That's that's a prick that you used to prick the, the oxen and all this stuff to get them moving what did jesus say to paul uh, uh, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks and we see so many pictures in there about how how he delivered i'll have to go over that message again sometime it's, it's really powerful but it's so true we see even in the old testament that rock the rock deuteronomy 32 18 the rock is christ is the messiah is god that he is the deliverer. He gives us the living water. What did Jesus say to the Samaritan woman at the well? It says, if you knew who was speaking with you, you would ask, you would be asking for that everlasting water. For the everlasting water. And she says, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, nor have to come again and, and drop. 
And Jesus proceeded to teach her what, what the actual living water is, is the word of God. And we see how, how that living water came from the rock, how God produces the, the water, produces the bread, produces all things. Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We see so much. We see so much. And how now we, now we follow Christ as Israel followed Moses. We follow Christ who speaks us the true words of God. We follow his steps in, in, in his direction as they were baptized in the, in the waters by Moses. We follow Jesus in the waters. And we see we believe in him. We believe in the word and we follow him as he set examples for us as to uh, we believe on him and are baptized just, just as he was. We follow him in his footsteps and all Christ's likeness we see in afterwards. We see so many pictures of this. Now, verse 4, And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spirit, that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. We see Jesus throughout the Gospels talks so much about the living bread, the living waters. He is the bread, the water, the light, the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. That rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. We see God never leaves, never forsakes. God doesn't change. We do. We change. We forget. As, it, as this is the point he makes in verse 1, don't be ignorant of this. Don't forget these things. Don't forget how the Lord is always with us. How the Lord's promises are everlasting, just as he is everlasting. He is that rock. He is our salvation. He's our guide, our strength. He's our, he's our life, our, our light. He's our, our water, our bread. He is our everything. He is everything that you need to be alive. He is the breath of God, the word of God. Everything that, that life, that everything that you would need for life to exist we see, uh, we see water, food, light, and oxygen. We're the things that we need to live. Just so happens that Jesus says he is all of these things. He, he is our, our light. He is our, our food, our drink, and he's our breath. He is everything that we need to be alive. Don't be ignorant of these things, how the Lord has delivered. Look back at how the Lord works. That's what he's getting at here. That's what Paul's getting at here. To look at how the Lord works and look at his names. Look at his power. Look what he's done. Now look at Jesus. Jesus is everything. Everything that, that God did back then, Jesus did. Everything that God said back then, Jesus says. Because Jesus is God. He is Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. He is the wonderful, the counselor, the prince of peace. He is the mighty God, the everlasting father. He, he is the father of all things. And he manifested himself in the flesh as Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. How long have I been with you, Philip, and you do not yet know me? If you've, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Before Abraham was, I am. That, that, that the pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ uh, that appeared with a couple of his angels to visit Abraham. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Talking about at the time when he visited Abraham and Abraham rejoiced that visitors were coming. And he 
realized that it was God. And he told his wife to prepare the meal for the, for the guests. And those are the two angels that went to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see God sat down. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Before Abraham was, I am. That that was a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ that appeared to Abraham. And Jesus is referring to that to the Jews in John 8. The rock that follows us. The rock that follows us. There's so much. There's so much. Don't be ignorant of these things. Don't forget these things. Keep all these things in your remembrance. That from the very beginning of Genesis, when God spoke all things into existence, all things are made by the Word of God. The Word that spoke all things into existence, and the Word, which is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, verses 1, uh, 1 and 14. Don't be ignorant of this. Don't forget these things. Don't become apathetic to this. These are the, the richest, deepest things. Just as Fool says, yes, the Bible is the, the richest, deepest, most co uh, consistent, accurate book I've ever read. The cross references exactly how just all across there's so much. Look at all the things that Jesus says in the Gospels and go back in the Old Testament. Look at what God said to the people. How God worked. Jesus did the same thing. Now, what did David write in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. Now, if you go back to Psalm 23, verse 1, you'll see that the word Lord is all uppercase. L-O-R-D, all uppercase. That means Jehovah God. That's what that means. That the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah God is my shepherd. I shall not want. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10? I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, which gives his life for his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Jesus, in John chapter 10, flat out claims to be the good shepherd of Psalm 23. Jesus flat out says he is Jehovah God, the shepherd of Israel. That's what he flat out says in John 10. And you go to Ezekiel, and you see how many how many chapters, how many times the Lord refers to himself as the shepherd, and Israel his sheep, my sheep, my sheep, my sheep, my lambs, my lambs, my sheep. And he refers to himself as the shepherd. Jesus in John 10 says, that's me. That's me. He's the shepherd. He's the life. He's the light. He's the bread. He's the water. He's, he's the breath. He, he's our, 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 our provider, our protector. He is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and Elijah and Samson, the God of Adam and the God of Noah is the God that manifested himself in the flesh in the gospels as Jesus. And he's known as Jesus, the name above all names. At whose name every knee will bow, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God, the God of Israel, the God of Moses, the God who fed the people back then, and the God who feeds us now. Just as he fed them in the wilderness, he fed the thousands again with the bread and fish. He did it again. The God who brought water from the rock is the same God who turned the water into wine. The God who brought the water from the rock is the God that walked on the water. Don't be ignorant of this. Don't forget this. Don't minimize this. Don't miss this. The power of God. The power of Jesus. 
who Jesus really is. He is the foundation of everything. He's the chief cornerstone of the whole faith. He is our everything. Everything that we are, everything that we need, He is. Because He is the I am. I am life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am what did Jesus say to, say to Lucifer in the temptation in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4? When Lucifer was tempting Jesus, Jesus says, tempt not the Lord your God. Jesus says, tempt not the Lord your God. Jesus flat out says to Lucifer that he is Lord God. Tempt not the Lord your God. It is written, tempt not the Lord your God. Satan was tempting Jesus. Jesus flat out claims to be Lord God. Jesus says, says before, before Philip came and called thee, I saw you under the fig tree. But Jesus was in a whole separate town. Jesus forgave sins of multiple people. Jesus accepted worship of multiple people. Thomas, after the resurrection, fell down before Jesus and says, My Lord and my God. And Jesus blessed him. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Don't be ignorant of this. Don't be ignorant of these things. Don't forget these things. Don't water them down. Don't wash them out. Don't be apathetic of it. But this is everything. This is the chief cornerstone of the, of the whole scriptures. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Who walked in the garden with Adam and Eve? Who spoke to Noah? Who is the voice of God? Who is the word which speaks? The word which spoke all things into existence is the same word that speaks into me everlasting life. He speaks and he quickens our spirit and he creates in me a living soul. As he formed Adam from the dust of the ground and he breathed into, into Adam the breath of life and created a living soul. So he does to us. We who are but dust. He speaks into us the breath of life. And Jesus calls himself the breath of life. He speaks into us the breath of life and he creates in us a living soul. He quickens our spirits and gives us everlasting life. He is everything from Genesis to Revelation. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's not about my works or my abilities or my achieving anything. If we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that talks about he is our redemption. He is our wisdom. He is our knowledge. And he is our sanctification. He is our sanctification because I have none. I have none. I can't, I can't maintain sanctification because in me is no goodness. No, I have no righteousness of my own. The righteousness that I have is imputed upon me. He is my righteousness. He is my sanctification. He is my redemption. He is my wisdom because I have none. He is my guide because I don't know what to do. Just as he, he led Israel through the wilderness, so Christ guides us through the wilderness of this world. He is our landmark 
as we as we know where things are because we see the landmarks he is our lemon he is the he's the rock the landmark that we use to know how how to figure things out where to go what to do we look to the landmarks to know where we are he is our everything he is our anchor the anchor of our souls And did all drink the same spiritual drink. We drank of that living water. And he gave us life. We drank of that spiritual rock that follows us. What did Jesus say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. That rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. Jesus follows us. He's with us always, even into the end of the world. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never let thee go. You're held in my hand, and no man can pluck you out. He is our everything. When we become ignorant of this, when we forget these things, the scriptures stop being as deep. We, we start to misunderstand and misinterpret because when we don't see Jesus Christ on, in every verse, on every page, we're missing the point. The scriptures are not just about us, you know, being good and doing good. And, and it's not about moral platitudes. It's not about me, my works, my law keeping. It's not about any of that. It's about Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Just as a, a, a picture when Jesus walked on water. And Peter saw him and says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out of the boat and Peter walks on the water. Why? Because he's keeping his eyes on Christ. When he took his eyes off Christ, he, he sank in the waters. When we take our eyes off of Christ, the waters stop being the living waters and we sink. When we keep our eyes on Christ, we look for Jesus Christ in every page. We look for him in every verse. We look for him in everything. Because he is our everything. He is the always existing one. He is the I am. He is the rock. The living rock. He's the living rock. When Jesus was talking to Peter... And we see many people like the Catholics and the Orthodox and many of them, they misunderstand what Jesus is saying. When Jesus is talking to Peter and Jesus says, and thou art called Peter, for upon this rock I will build my church. Who is Jesus talking to? What was Jesus talking about? He says, upon this rock I'll build my church. He wasn't talking about Peter. If we go over to Peter's epistle, we see Peter is talking about how we are all built together as lively stones. Stone and rock are not interchangeable. Stone and rock have two completely different meanings. Stones are, uh, as we can interpret when you look it up, as the individual stones like bricks that are used to build up a building. Rock means foundation bedrock. Uh, the, the, that which buildings are built upon. Who is the foundation of the church? Peter or Jesus? We see in Deuteronomy, the rock is God. We see in 1 Corinthians 10:4, rock is Christ. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. 
Jesus is the foundation upon which the church is built. Peter is one of the stones in the wall. One of the stones in the building. And we are all built together as lively stones. Jesus is everything. When we take our eyes off of Christ as the foundation of the church, like the Catholics do, what happens? The whole thing falls apart. It's full of errors and heresies and, uh, and misunderstandings. It becomes a false gospel when you remove Christ from the equation. When you make man the foundation of the church. They say Peter was the foundation. Peter is the rock. No, Peter is a stone. Like you and I are stones. What did Jesus say when he was riding into Jerusalem on the donkey and the, and the Pharisees yelled at him? Says, so they said, tell your disciples to be quiet and to st- stop shouting Hosanna. What did Jesus say? If I were to tell them to be quiet, the very stones of the ground would cry out. The very stones of the ground would cry out. What did John the Baptist say when he was talking to the Pharisees? He said, he said do not say we are, we are of Abraham's children, for God is able of these stones to raise up children to himself. Stones. Individual stones. That has a specific meaning, uh, and which is different from rock. You see how much information, how much we can get out of the word of God by just looking at one word, and that is rock. The rock. The rock. And what does the devil do? What does the devil do with this? Because all throughout the word of God, we see we see phrases and, and, and titles and names and words, which the devil takes and tries to corrupt and tries to mock. Because when you think, when you hear of rock, what do you think of? Hard music. Which takes away the very depth of the meaning of the word. We see the same as with the name of Jesus. Is the only deity name in the entire world that is used as a cuss word. Think about that one just for a moment. Out of all of, of the different deities and, and, and gods and goddesses of the entire world, which Hinduism itself has over 300 million, three, over 330 million uh, last count, over 330 million different deities in Hinduism alone, and not, not considering all the other religions, but out of all of the different belief systems in the entire world, only the name of God of the Bible, only the name of Jesus Christ, is the only deity name that's used as a cuss word. And the different works and names and things of the scriptures are used for corrupted senses, corrupted texts, corrupted contexts. But we shouldn't be ignorant of what the true meaning is, of who Jesus Christ really is, and what it, what rock really means according to the word of God, the depth of the power of this, of that which we go to for life. We go to him for life, and he miraculously produces the water, the life, the bread. He, he, he's the one that brings us all things that we need. He is the I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, if we go down to verse 5, we see the context here changes a little bit. As he talks about the rock, he talks about Jesus Christ, and to bring us into remembrance of 
what Paul's talking about by him referring back to Israel coming out of Egypt and how God, known as the Rock, helped them and delivered them. And we see Jesus refers to himself in the same way. That Rock was Christ. Verse 5, But with many of them, those that came out of Egypt, but, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. What do we see the Lord referring to in the New Testament? He who defiles the temple, him shall God destroy. He who defiles the temple, him shall God destroy. And we see many of those, like we look at Ananias and Sapphira. They believed in, in Christ and they followed Christ, but look what they did. They sinned and they were struck down. We see many of the Israelites believing in the Lord and following the Lord, sinning against the Lord and were struck down. Verse 6, now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day of three and twenty thousand. Many of them were struck down. We see 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul's writing to the church of Corinth because there's certain individuals in the church of Corinth who are committing fornication. What did Paul tell them? That if you don't repent and you don't uh, uh, change from this, you'll be handed over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh. You'll be struck down. Your life will be taken. Just like they were. They, just like they were in the wilderness. Verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some, some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyed of the destroyer, handed over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh. So we see so many parallels of what happened in the Old Testament. God doesn't change. God doesn't change. Verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, examples, and they were written for our admonition, for our training, for our understanding, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now if we go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, all scripture is given, meaning theonoustos, meaning God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed, breathed by God, spoken by God, the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. May it come from the mind of God. That God created it. God is the originator. He is the origin of the scriptures. As he, These are his words. By inspiration of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Profitable. Suitable. Helpful. For doctrine. For the teachings. For reproof. For correction. For instruction in righteousness. For instruction in righteousness, to know what is righteousness and what is not righteousness. To know what is of God, the ways of God. Verse 17, the purpose that the scriptures are given, the reason all these things are given is, verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. Now it's very interesting 
And many of the modern uh, Bible versions actually change that. They say that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. That's not accurate. If you go back to the original manuscripts, to the majority text manuscripts, and you look at the original Koine Greek of the, of the uh, majority text manuscripts, uh, it, it flat out says that the men of God may be perfect. Perfect. Because the word perfect is, is a specific word. It's a, very, it's a very direct word. Because as God is perfect, his word is perfect. He, he wants us. He says, be ye perfect as he is perfect. Be ye holy as he is holy. The point of the word of God is to seek perfection. The perfection of Christ. To, as uh, We're to be Christ-like in all things. As we strive for the mastery of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished to all good works. Because when we take a look at the word of God... That the scriptures themselves are perfect for us, for our learning, so that we could strive for perfection. That the word, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That the perfection of your works, perfection of your words, perfection of your faith. That's what it's for. They go over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 1, and we start at verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount, the mount of transfiguration. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, more sure than even voices of God from heaven. More sure than even supernatural signs and wonders. Something is more sure. We also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they're moved by the Holy Ghost. And the scriptures are not open to personal interpretation when it says what it means, because God has, has an intended purpose for his words. That what he said, he said to his holy servants, and they wrote down what God was telling them. He inspired them in what to write. They wrote what God wanted them to write. Now we go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, verses 8 to 10. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 10, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. What is that which is perfect? Now, as we just saw, that which is perfect, to, uh, uh, to uh, that the men of God may be perfect. 
that which is perfect is will come, then that which is in part shall be done away. We look at the language. Jesus had already come. It's not referring to Jesus. But when that which is perfect, it's referring to the completed canon of Scripture. Because the final books, the final chapters hadn't been penned down yet. As we see, uh, the Apostle John was going to be writing Revelation. And we see after Revelation, the canon of Scripture is closed. That which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. What was, what's that which is in part? That which is temporary. That which will be done away. We see a certain gifts of, of, of the divine teaching, where we see uh, the, uh, those who will be speaking like the oracles of God, that those gifts of, of the oracles of God will be done away because the word of God replaces it, because the word of God is perfect. The word of God is complete. There are no lost books, no lost manuscripts, no lost words of scripture. He preserves his word unto all generations. All these things in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, all these things happened for our examples. Why? To equip us, to instruct us, to reprove us, to instruct us in righteousness, that we may be perfect, that we may have the perfect understanding we don't ever have to doubt or wonder. We don't ever have to doubt or wonder we, that we shouldn't be ignorant because look what the word of God says. He is not the author of confusion, but he gives us the, the, the spirit of peace and power and understanding. He, he doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, soundness of mind. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. We can always know. What God wants of us by studying his word, we see what he says for us, what he has for us. Verse 12, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. If you think that you, by your wisdom, your knowledge, your abilities, your works, that you are holding yourself, you're going to fall. We must stand upon the rock, which is Christ, the word, which is God, that became flesh and dwelt among us. And he spoke and taught us and he, and he spoke unto us all these things. As, as, as he says, these things from Genesis to Revelation are our examples, our teaching, our instruction. And in the volume of the book, it is written of me. It's all about Jesus Christ. Then we see something else that's really interesting. In verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that with that year able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. But will with the all things that come makes a way of escape. Just as, as Paul was just referring to the Israelites coming out of Egypt by Moses, going through the sea, God made a way. He makes a way. So you don't have to fear and doubt and worry because Egypt has barely done us. We're all going to be wiped out. And God makes a way. But it will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able. He knows our limits. And God always knows how to make a way, how to make an escape. What does Jesus call himself? The way. The way, the truth, and the life. Who make a way to escape.
He makes a way to escape from the temptations and troubles by looking to him, and he helps us to overcome all things. And we see just as well, in a spiritual sense, he makes a way of escape from hell and judgment. It makes a way of escape. He is our redemption. He is our protection. He is our life, our light, our bread. He is everything. He will not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We see it's all it all ties in. It all ties in. Even in uh, 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 Master, teach us to, how to pray. When ye pray, pray after this manner, pray ye our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, just like he did for them out of Egypt. Just like he did for them every time, no matter what was coming down. I delivered them from all the enemies and the troubles and all these things. He makes a way, even for Adam and Eve, when they sinned against the Lord and brought sin into the world, and they're hiding behind the fig leaves, God made a way to cover them, to cover their sin. He made a way of redemption for them to show them how by the shedding of the blood of the Lamb, their sins can be forgiven. He made a way of escape for Noah. He made a way of escape for Lot. He made a way of escape for Israel again and again and again. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. He is the way. He's the rock. He's the way. He's the life. He's the light. He's our redemption. He's our everything. But look but look at what happens when you ignore the rock, when you ignore the life and the light, when you when you when you fall in temptation, you give in to sin, just like what happened to that certain Israelites who did, how how we see discipline, whom the Lord loves, he chastiseth. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. Listen to what I'm saying, Paul says, verse 15. Listen to what I'm saying. The cup of blessing, verse 16, the cup of blessing which we, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? It's all about Jesus Christ, all about what he did for us, what he gave for us, how he fights for us as God fought for Israel. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? As we see in, in, in picture as well, in the, in the practice of the communion table, remembering how these things are pictures of the blood and, and, and body of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is pictures of what God has given for them. What God has done for us. We see the communion table as the remembrance of us, what Jesus did for us. Verse 17, For we being many are one bread and one body. We are all partakers of that one bread. We're all partakers of Christ. But just as they partook of the living water that came from the rock, we partake, we partake of the water of Christ, of the blood of Christ. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are not all they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? 
just as they they partake of the altar of sacrifice and they are partakers of this and they glean blessing from this they they, they receive forgiveness they, they receive help and answer prayers by their sacrifices just as they just as they do they're partakers of the altar we are partakers of the altar of christ Verse 19, what say I then, that the idol is anything, or that or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. But I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Ignore the things of this world. Ignore the powers that be, because he was referring to, because it's a continuous letter. He, he's building off of what he said previously about things offered unto devils, offered unto idols, and, and the pollutions of idols. Be not polluted by the things of this world to corrupt your thinking, corrupt your minds, and corrupt your faith. Ignore the things to be separate, to come out and be separate. Just as Israel came out from Egypt and was separate, and Israel is separate from the rest of the world, we are separate from this world. We come out of this world and we do not pollute ourselves with the things of this world. Would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Go back to Deuteronomy 32 just again for a moment. Look at verse 17. You see what Paul was just saying there? About sacrifices to devils and the things of devils? Look at Deuteronomy 32 verse 16. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not. To new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. The pollutions, the forgetting, as it says, being unmindful of that rock which formed thee. Unmindful, as they forgot. They forgot. They are polluted with the things of the world. They are polluted uh, with the with the false gods and the powers and the false things around. They've forgotten. And Paul's building off of this by remembering those things. Just as they forgot, don't you forget. Just as they polluted themselves with the things of the world and false gods, don't you pollute yourselves with the flashiness of this world and the temptations of the devil. How can you have fellowship with God and fellowship with devils? Verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. You have to choose you this day whom ye will serve. Just as Joshua said to Israel, Paul is saying to the church, Choose you this day whom you will serve. What do you serve? The things of the Lord or the pollutions of idols or the temptations of the devil? Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Just like uh, just like Moses was saying in Deuteronomy 32, how they provoked the Lord to jealousy. Paul says, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. I, we're not under the law, we're under grace. That's what he's getting at here. Yes, we're under grace. Yes, we cannot lose our salvation. All, all things are, are available, but not all things are blessed. Not all things will edify. 
Now all things are blessed of God. Everything is that is presented. How can we know what is right and what is wrong? How can we know the difference between the holy and the profane? We go to the word of God and we see by these things which are given for our examples, we learn by this. We can only know uh, what is right, what is wrong. We can only uh, strive for perfection. We can only know what is perfect, what is the perfect will of God by searching the scriptures. Not by what I think, what I feel, not my feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings and the fact that the word of God doesn't care about, about your feelings and your opinions and your personal interpretations. Exactly, Nerland. But how do we test the spirits? How do you test the spirits? What does scripture say? What what did Jesus say to Lucifer in the in the temptation in the wilderness? It is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus always referred back to the written word of God. Always referred to the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written, thou shalt worship only the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. It is written, tempt not the Lord your God. Jesus refuted Lucifer with scripture. We discern the truth. We discern the difference between uh, righteousness and, and the profane and unrighteousness by the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. The word of God is perfect. The word of God is perfect. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, meaning we're under grace, not law. I can't, I could go, but all things are not expedient. Not all things will build up. Not all things are blessed. All things are lawful, available, but all things edify not. Not, not everything will edify. To edify, to build up, to bless, to help, to, to, uh, to construct in righteousness. Verse 24, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. What, is, what does he mean by this? But every, but, but every man, man another's well-being. Let no man seek your own. To, just to be an island unto yourself. We're not an island unto ourselves. Yes, Christ is our rock. And we're all built on Christ, but it's not individual rocks. Like individual islands. It's one rock. We're all built together as lively stones all built together unto a spiritual house upon the one rock. We all work together. We all help each other. We don't just think of ourselves. We must think of each other. We must help each other to build each other up, to help hold each other together. But every man another's well-being, wealth, abilities, and everyone else's edification. We are to be edifying unto one another, considerate of one another. Just as Jesus spoke about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, again, as we, as we see, as Paul was referring to in the previous chapters about things offered unto idols. Things offered unto idols. Verse 25, as he refers to that every, everything is lawful, but not everything edifies. However, verse 25, whatsoever is sold in the shambles in the marketplace, whatever is sold in the marketplace that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Just as we were talking about, but, uh, but uh, 
is there's a big difference between ha having an ignorance of not knowing where it came from and then searching out and finding out where it's from and now it's polluted but the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof all meat all things are made by god we're talking about the difference between generic things and specific religious articles religious texts religious things of other religions get rid of it dispose of it throw it out have nothing to do with it if it's just meat if it's just food if it's just things your basic groceries if it whatever sold just just buy it and don't ask questions if any of them that believe not bid you to go to a feast and you are disposed to go whatsoever is set before you eat asking no question for conscience sake you don't need to investigate everything but if any man say unto you this is offered in sacrifice unto idols this uh, this is blessed by our gods eat not for his sake that showed it and for conscience sake for the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof knowledge understanding of things how, how to know what is of god and what is not as we abstain from the pollutions Again, he's referring to pollutions, temptations and pollutions and things. Verse 29, conscience, I say, not thine own. Not your conscience uh, of your opinions, your feelings. Well, I don't have a problem with it, does God. Well, I don't, I don't see how it's, it's, it's of any harm. I, I don't believe, I think, I feel not your conscience. Conscience, I say, not thine own but of the other there's a separate conscience because as we saw in our studies when we went through the book of romans we, in romans 7 it talks about uh, the, the the there's two minds there's the mind of flesh and there's the mind of spirit there's the conscience of flesh and there's the conscience of spirit conscience i say not thine own not your conscience but the conscience of spirit the conscience of the holy spirit the conscience of the Holy Spirit. But of the other, there's another life. Uh, the other life the, of the spirit, not flesh. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? So we don't judge by, by the mind of flesh. As Jesus says, judge not after the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Judge righteous judgment. Judging righteously. Why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? We go over to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Verse uh, 17. Um, yes, James 4, 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. As we see, the Spirit of God is convicting you on something. You know what is right, you know what is wrong, and you do what you want anyways, because you go by your conscience, instead of the conscience of the Holy Spirit. You know what's right, you know what's wrong. You know you shouldn't watch that, and you watch it anyways, it's sin. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now we also see something interesting in the wording here. To him. To him. Not everybody is going to have the same mind. Not everybody's going to think the same regarding everything. Some uh, some individuals believe you shouldn't have a television. 
To them that is good, and to have one is sin, according to their conscience between them and the Lord. Why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? You see, what your conscience dictates may be different than mine. How the Lord is leading you in certain ways because he knows your limits, he knows your temptations, he will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. Others may have, may have no problem sitting at, sit, sitting at meat and eating those, eating those things because they understand, they have knowledge, and they know that the idol is nothing. But others don't have that knowledge. Their conscience being weak is defiled. To them... That they 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 see it. They believe that you cannot be of that. You cannot eat that. To them, it is sin, but to you, it's not. But we understand the meat is of the Lord, and the, full, the earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof. You see what he's getting at here: to not judge by your own conscience, by your own feelings, not judge by your but your own convictions. Your convictions are your convictions. But we judge all things not by our own conscience, but by what the Word of God says. Why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? My liberty. But use not your liberty as an occasion to sin, as an occasion to the flesh. For if I by grace, verse 30, for if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Now, I want to bring in just... just this for argument's sake, because it's very contentious and um, really makes makes people see what I'm talking about. Charles Spurgeon used this very argument. I'm just saying. Charles Spurgeon used this very argument for his cigars. People condemned him for it. But he says, but why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace... Be a partaker. Now he's referring, he was referring to his cigars. Why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Because he thanks the Lord for it. It was just, it's a liberty of his between him and the Lord. Why is, why is his liberty judged of another man's conscience? Because there are many Christians who believe that you, that you shouldn't have cigars, that it's wrong, it's sin. But he has an argument. But Charles Spurgeon had an argument where it wasn't to him. So who's right, who's wrong? Judge not after the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. It's not what enters the man that defiles him, but that which comes out of the heart. It's not what enters the man that defiles him. It's not what enters the man that defiles him, but that which comes out of the heart. So you see how far this goes. But to remember the Lord in all things. All things are to the glory of God. All things are to, are to Christ. All things uh, uh, are to be of of edification of Christ. Now, wherefore, it says, for if I by grace, verse 30, for if I by grace, as we're by grace, not law, or if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? That's, we've got to be careful about judging by our own conscience, by our own convictions. If you see so, some, something that you disagree with, if it in and of itself is not terrible sin, or if they, that uh, if you see your brother in sin to go and speak to him and to uh, to edify him to correct him, uh, if it's something you just disagree with, leave it alone. Leave it alone to seek peace. Wherefore, verse thirty-one. Wherefore, 
sorry, whether, not wherefore. Verse 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. To remember the Lord, to not be ignorant of these things, but to remember the Lord in everything. And in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. Verse 32, give none offense. Now, yes, you have liberty. Yes, you by grace can be a partaker. Yes, but give no offense. Yes, we're under grace. We're not under law. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Why? Because some can eat the meat with offense. Just as we saw in a previous chapter. You can eat that meat, but you can but you'll be eating it with offense if you're causing your weaker brother to, to stumble. Give no offense. Give no offense. Neither to the Jews or to the Gentiles nor to the church of God. Be mindful of uh, who you represent. Be mindful of Christ in all that you do. To remember the Lord and not be ignorant, uh, but not to be forgetful. But to keep the Lord in remembrance of everything. Who you who you uh, who you represent? Remember your testimony, as you hear for edification, not for your own glory, not for your own satiation, not for your own conscience. Conscience, not your own. Verse thirty-three. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Because the purpose, the point of everything. Is the salvation of Christ. Just as everything in the Old Testament was about the salvation of God to Israel. Salvation of God and the deliverance of God to the glory of God. It's no different. It's to the glory of Christ, the salvation of Christ, the redemption of Christ, the deliverance of Christ in everything. To seek to edify the church to the glory of God and seek to bring people in. It's not about us. It's not about our conscience. It's not about our, our feelings. It's not about ourselves. It's not about our own money, our lives. It's not about us. It's not about our well-being, but the others. To seek the others' well-being. Give no offense but glorify God to remember the Lord in everything and in everything that you do. Yes, you have grace. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's liberty. Thou what enters the man that defiles him, but that which comes out of the heart. Make sure that in everything that you're doing, that out of the, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks the glories of God. It's to the glory of God, to the blessing of Christ, to the edification of the saints, uh, to the building up of the church, to the guiding of the lost unto Christ. Give no offense. And if any man do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He makes a way. He makes a way. The way maker. I would not that you should be ignorant. Be not ignorant of Christ. Do not be forgetful of Christ in everything that you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So there you go. Any other comments, questions, issues, insights, anything else at all regarding this study? Be glad to hear from you. All right, let's go back up through the comments, see if I missed anything. Good morning, good morning. 
on fire for God. Amen. Amen. Uh, okay. Bezbul says the Bible is the richest, deepest, most consistent, accurate book I've ever read. The cross references and prophecies are also totally amazing. Amen. Bezbul's uh, it, it also remains fresh. You always discover something new as you're always reading it for the first time. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, going down through, author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Okay. All right. So there we go. Um, <clears throat> so we got a comment by Nerlin. Um, okay. How do you guide yourself from apostasy? Well, um, we got to understand the meanings of words. Now, is it? I, I don't know if you if you mean apostasy or do you mean apathy? Um, apostasy to apostasize is to leave one's faith, to leave one's beliefs. Um, you grow tired of it, you don't want it anymore, and you leave it and you recant it. That's apostasizing. Um, apathy is just to grow cold and to be become forgetful but you're not leaving the faith it's just it's losing its power and impact to you and you're very blase about it lukewarm that's what uh, apathy is lukewarm um now um apostasy here's the thing those who are truly born again those who are truly born again are incapable of apostatizing I will never leave you nor forsake you. When did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? He grew he grew cold to his father, and, and he uh, but then again we see conviction and remembrance, and he returns to his father. He didn't apostatize. He grew apathetic, became lukewarm, and we see he fell into temptation in the snare of the devil. To apostatize is to recant. But as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, no man speaking by the Spirit of God called Jesus accursed. You cannot curse God and curse Christ and leave Christ. You cannot apostatize from the faith. You cannot speak evil of Christ. You cannot speak against the Lord if you're truly born again and dwelt by the Spirit of God. True born-again believers are incapable of apostatizing. So apostasy does not happen to born-again believers. But we see individuals many times say they say they are Christians, they believed in the apostles, they they became atheists and denied the Lord and fell into other religions. They were never saved to begin with. They were never saved to begin with. They were under the enlightenment, not under salvation. See Hebrews six four to six, as they were given the light of the understanding and the taste of, and they rejected it. How long can you be under enlightenment? For quite a while. Uh, for quite a, some uh, quite some time, sometimes, but uh, born again believers can become apathetic. Now, if we ask that question, how can we seek to guide ourselves from apathy? What did we just read? Remember the Lord. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of the truths. Remind yourself of the Lord, who the Lord is, what the Lord has done, and to and to remember as we as it says. Uh, how we are the remembrancers of the Lord. We remember what the Lord has done for us. How many times the Lord has answered your prayers, guided you, helped you, strengthened you, provided for you. Look what the Lord has done. I see Paul is referring to Israel in the wilderness with God, how God was with them and helped them and delivered them and guided them and provided for them. 
Look back in your life. How many times through the wilderness of your life has the Lord been with you and helped you and guided and provided and answered prayers and all of these things? To remember what the Lord has said and done. To rekindle the faith. To remember who you were before you met Christ. And, and to remember what happened the day you met Christ. When you, when you heard the gospel, you heeded the gospel, remember what that did to you. Remember how, what, how you felt, what you thought. Remember your life when you met Christ to, rem, to be the remembrancers of Christ. So, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your God and King, for salvation from your sins, you are born again and dwelt by the Spirit of God, held in the hand of the Father. That no man can pluck you. That means you can't pluck yourself out either. And dwelt by the Spirit of God, held in the hand of the Father, surrounded by 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 the mountain of angels. Our names are written down in glory, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And He is our advocate, our intercessor, our mediator. You, you you can't apostatize. He will never let you go. You can't apostatize. So. We see in that a picture of eternal security. How once you're saved, you're always saved because it's not by works, but it's by grace. How, how the Lord holds you, you don't hold yourself. So rather, it's apathy that is the great danger of the Christian. Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. And that's literally what this whole chapter today is all about. This study is all about is about remembrance and about, about fighting against forgetfulness, to remember Christ in everything, because it's all about Christ. Keep him always before you. It's when you take your eyes off of Christ, when you become apathetic, you take your eyes off Christ, you start looking at the waves is when you sink. When you become apathetic is when, is when you fall in temptation. But if you keep your eyes on Christ, even when the temptations come, he makes a way of escape. Through the sea, through the land, through whatever. He will deliver. He will deliver. So that's the whole point of the chapter. So I hope that answers that. Any other comments, questions, issues, insights, anything else at all? Uh, if you appreciate these studies, please give this a like. Give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe. Hit the notification bell icon. And as well, leave a comment uh, uh, below. Once we're all done, leave a comment in the comment section. Uh, uh, and uh, we'd love to hear from you just about uh, what you thought uh, of the study and what you gleaned from it. If any insights, anything. Leave a comment. We'd be glad to hear from you. And share this video around. Share these Bible studies around. And uh, let other people know about uh, about these uh, these studies and these things. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Um, and, and as well, please make sure you check out all our other playlists. We've got tons and tons of other content. Uh, we cover many other books of the Bible and topics and debates and stuff. And so make sure you check all that out as well as our website, ChristianCoffeeTime.ca. Got links to all their platforms and goodies. We got links there to our podcasts as well and a bunch of other goodies. So make sure you check all that out. And with that, I guess we'll wrap that up there. So with that, then, thank you so much for joining in. Thank you so much. Uh, God bless you, folks. Really appreciate uh, the fellowship and the involvement. Uh, it's such an encouragement to see so many people rejoicing about the Word of God, rejoicing at hearing these things. So give all glory and praise to our Lord Jesus Christ, and God bless all those who love His Holy Word. God bless all those who love our Lord God Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love His Holy Word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always... If I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.